You're listening to Alternative Thinking, Both Sides of the Coin, a production of the Canadian Association of Alternative Strategies and Assets, where we explore today's markets and alternative investments from two distinct perspectives. Today we're speaking with a veteran portfolio manager who's well-steeped in what it takes to run a company, as well as a lawyer who services many asset management clients, as we cover a plethora of acronyms such as BCP, or Business Continuity Plan, KYC and KYP, which is Know Your Client, Know Your Product, and IPS, which is Investment Policy Statement, as well as concepts and processes that have been complicated by physical distancing, such as communicating with clients, both accredited investors and their status and retail, and launching new investment funds at this time. James Brown is the president and co-founder of CASA. All opinions expressed during the show by James and our show guests remain their own and should be used for informational and educational purposes only. Find out more about CASA at casa.ca. Welcome. Today is Thursday, April 9th, and I'm James Barron with CASA. Today we're speaking with Chris von Bedecker with AUM Law and Jason Russell with Resolve Asset Management. Let's start with self-introductions. Uh, maybe we'll start with you, Chris. Sure. Um, AUM Law is a Canadian law firm focused on serving the asset management sector in the areas of regulatory compliance and investment funds. Our website is aumlaw.com. The firm was founded in 2009, which makes us the same age as National Instrument 31103, the principal mm. CSA rule governing dealers, portfolio managers, and investment fund managers in Canada. I joined AUM Law in 2017 after spending 16 years in the legal department at CI Investments. Oh, great. Thanks. And uh, from Jason, and your, your story passed as well. Hey, James, thanks. Yeah, Resolve Asset Management is a Canadian asset manager that applies systematic investment strategies in liquid securities and derivative markets for uh, advanced global asset allocation. I've been in business uh, for uh, since 2015, and I have about 30 years experience, most recently as a founder of Acorn Global Investments, a, a derivative shop that amalgamated with Resolve uh, about two years ago and have uh, experience in, in the advisory uh, and uh, asset management side um, in a variety of different roles over the last 30 years. Awesome. Thanks, Jay. Um, so yeah, you've been, you've been in, in this game for quite a while and uh, obviously have experience with, uh, as Chris mentioned, you're the uh, 31103. And, and so, and I remember when you opened your, your fund Acorn a while back, like, so what's the, What's the process and maybe what's the most important part and how has that uh, kind of proved itself over the last uh, the last little while with this bit of a bit of a coronavirus COVID crisis? I think the most important thing to address here right now is, is the BCP side. Uh, and, uh, you know, we've enacted our plan about a month ago. Uh, we had a plan which we've tested several times, and fortunately, because we have a, a number of remote workers, we've effectively been working uh, similar to the way we're working uh, now. Yeah, thanks. And then, yeah, and on a more uh, a broader note, because you, you see quite a few different funds, uh, both having them going through registration and setting up their their BCPs, and I guess now implementing them. Uh, what, what have you seen, Chris, over the last bit? Yeah, so every firm needs to have a business continuity plan. And uh, I think this is, uh, you know, these are the types of circumstances where these continuity plans come into play. Um, so what what firms should be doing now is uh, ensuring their business continuity plans are sort of uh, enacted and uh, considering whether they need any amendments to those plans given the circumstances and thinking a little bit about the future uh, and, you um, how the regulators might uh, look at, at the firms to see whether 
whether and how they enacted their business continuity plans and whether they were sufficient for these circumstances. And what, what do you see as part of those plans? Uh, like what are the generally the stage and, and how, how sophisticated do they get? And I guess the corollary to that is how much can these costs to set up and, and implement? Um, well, generally speaking, I, the, the plans themselves um, can follow, uh, you know, there's, I think there's a fairly standard plans uh, available that people can sort of have uh, in as part of their compliance manuals. Um, but I think, uh, you know, it's and testing those plans as part of the requirement as well. Um, but I think uh, in terms of the actual implementation, uh, what people are doing or what they've done, uh, what we've seen so far is anyways, they've, you know, they've enacted the sort of work from home protocols that they've had in their plans. Uh, they've made sure that their employees are, are working from home and have the necessary resources to do that. Uh, that they've set up uh, the proper security um, so that people can work from home securely and protect client information and uh, that they can, you know, carry on business as usual uh, as best as possible. Cool. And then maybe specifically from Jason, like, is there anything that you have changed in your process or things that you had in, in place already? It sounds like you guys are already kind of set to work from home as, as we were. <laughs> we just didn't think we'd be doing it for, for all week versus like one or, once or twice a week. Exactly. I, I think, you know, sometimes we can all overthink this and it kind of comes down to, do you have the tools you need? Is your environment secure? And do you know how to reach out uh, to mm-hmm. people? Um, and so we, we, may, we ensure our contact list. Uh, and by that, I mean, of course, staff, but also all vendors uh, and, and your main vendor contacts, what are their emergency contact right. information? So we've had a lot of the first level and second level things uh, all mapped out, but you don't often have your uh, administrator's home number <laughs> or cell number. Yeah. So there've been a couple spots like that that we fill in, but most everybody in their own response is putting that information in their emails or, or other places. And one of the things we've done is we've, we've got a grid in place for every employee has anywhere from four to eight mission critical programs, uh, pieces of software, um, access to uh, information that we need to know that they can access outside of the regular work environment. So that's one of the things we've tested. And so far, um, knock on wood, you know, a month into it here, uh, we've been able to kind of not really miss uh, a, yeah. a beat, um, but we everyone's missing a beat in reality because you know, everyone's uh, a, a step behind where they no- where they normally uh, are because of just standards. Yeah, it's like the new abnormal sort of thing, and we'll we'll see how long that lasts. Um, yes. yeah, I guess exactly. from from a exactly. regulatory side, yep. uh, Chris, what 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 is re- required um, under the under the uh, the OSC or the various uh, Securities Commissions Acts, and uh, and how long are folks expected to have these plans in place, or is it just they just say it, it's you. You will you'll adapt to this for as long as it takes, whether it's three months or, or three years. Yeah, I think we're sort of in unprecedented uh, precedented territory. So I'm not sure anyone's ever really contemplated uh, this type of scenario. But I think yeah. theoretically, uh, these plans are meant to be you know in place and operative for as long as you need them. So I think it you know they're not written in stone. I think if you if you're uh, working under your business continuity plan and you're, you're finding that it's not working for you in these circumstances, uh, you should definitely go ahead and, and, you know, revise it and, and, uh, make sure that it's working. It works, uh, given your circumstances. But I think, 
you should be ready to to work uh, within the business continuity plan for as long as you need to, and in order to you know comply with your all of your regulatory requirements. And then, so for looking forward, many, especially in the private markets area, say just pencils down. We're not doing anything for a while. It's very, it's almost impossible to do due diligence. The marketing of Resolve is is more systematic in that it uses uh, a fair degree of technology as well. Uh, not unlike other other shops. Uh, so, um, how has that enabled you guys to to keep going through this, or uh, or was it just just a happy or happy happenstance that you had these things set up and it seems to fit the circumstances? Yeah, I think it. it uh, there certainly is uh, some happenstance there. Our approach is very systematic. The code. Uh, is backed up in multiple places. The systems that we run uh, can be run locally as well as uh, off-site in, in multiple places. So that has uh, helped us uh, a lot. Uh, but so much of the other parts of the business are somewhat systematic, but still involve a lot of, ultimately, it's, it's communication. And you know, mm-hmm. the way in which we're all communicating right now is, is changing a lot. And I think we're learning you know, day day by day, how best to get things done, and, and it's it's not just it's obviously not just uh, uh, staff, but it's also part partners, vendors, and of course clients. Yeah, how do you do that? Um, how, going forward, if you you have to do KYC updates, is that automated with you guys? And and how would you envision it at other shops where it's maybe more they go and meet them? And how does that change going forward? Um, knowing that we can't get go out and see people. Yeah, you know, we we've we've been using GoToMeeting for for years now, uh, and I'd say when we started using it, only within Resolve did we all have cameras, and we'd uh, we'd always talk to each other with the camera on, and and ninety percent of our calls we never had a camera on. Now I'd say probably seventy percent of the calls uh, that we make with GoToMeeting, uh, we we literally see the person face to face, which does help uh, and, and does give you a sense. And we also make and are making much more use right now. We're, we're, we're in the midst of rolling out our digital onboarding platform. Oh, yeah. I, I think on, on KYCs, and I know uh, Chris will have lots to uh, add here, but for our own investors that we have a KYC responsibility with, you know, there's no doubt that this this event is like no event any of us have experienced in our lifetime, and it really mm-hmm. truly is a um, a life event for all. And whether it's affecting uh, our clients' jobs, their income, obviously uh, assets, or their health, a health of a loved one, um, uh, there are uh, many, many, many different uh, uh, potential places to impact one's finances here. So we are intending to um, reach out to absolutely everybody, uh, even if we've done their IPS two months ago, because <laughs> beginning of February is vastly different than today. At some point, you know, certainly over the course of the next uh, uh, few months, everyone's going to get a fresh turn on, on their IPS and reviewing their risk and having a look at the KYC and, and going through the entire process. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what have you seen, Chris? So under uh, 45106, a credit investor, you have to have so much income, 200000 or 300 with a spouse, a million dollars of financial assets, $5 million of net worth. Uh, but how, how would that affect the client if they, they've had a job loss from this uh, and, or, or an, uh, like an asset impairment? Uh, when, when is that test applied and how, how rigorously is it applied? So if they had like $1.2 before this and then now it's like nine hundred. dollars um, 
how, how long do they keep their accredited investor uh, designation? Right. Okay. Um, so I think one thing to distinguish is sort of the accredited investor test versus the uh, requirements in 31103. Mm-hmm. And so the accredited investor status would determine sort of what types of investments, uh, uh, you know, an investor can invest in. Um, and okay. whether they can invest in uh, exempt securities or, you know, not through a prospectus. Um, for a dealer or portfolio manager who's dealing with clients directly, they need to be concerned about uh, National Instrument 31103 and sort of the suitability and KYC requirements there. And, mm. and uh, so the KYC typically will have questions about, you know, the client's income and their employment and sort of what their time horizons are and things like that. And I think that's where um, registrants should be uh, sort of focusing their efforts and making sure that that KYC information is still up to date, given given the mm-hmm. uh, you know the events of the last couple of months. And then in terms of you know I think that sort of ties in uh, a little bit to the accredited investor, but I think that the accredited investor is really more for um, you know if people are going to be uh, purchasing or looking at new investments, and and that test then would be applied at, at ah. that point. Um, so yeah, the um, you know the issuer there would need to assess whether that client still or is an accredited investor given their current circumstances, and that may have changed in light of the last uh, couple months. Yeah, and helpful for your shop for AUM is it uh, more or less business as usual uh, that you've done a lot remotely and and kind of at your desk and on the phone, or uh, was there a fair fair degree of client face to face? There, uh, it's it's we've all moved to uh, working from home. Um, uh, there isn't, you know, there isn't typically a lot of face-to-face except for, you know, potentially the initial mm-hmm. meetings with clients and sort of talking about uh, their plans. Uh, there's some documentation that, you know, typically needs to be signed face-to-face, but there's ways of working around that as well. So uh, our, the transition for us to work from home has gone quite smoothly and uh, everyone is, is, is working remotely and it seems to be working well so far. And how about at the regulator side? Like, did I remember like we would put together uh, comment letters for the various proposals, and usually those were electronic. But there would also be town halls. I think Jason, you might have gone to gone to a few as well over the years. And are they look? Have they just rescheduled those and thought, uh, well, maybe things will get back to normal, or have they started to, for, uh, say, the OSC or others, to just start doing? Uh, zoom town halls or was uh what do you think is going to happen there yeah i haven't seen i know they've canceled the upcoming town halls and they've canceled uh a few of the other things that they you know would have required uh Mm -hmm. face-to-face uh interactions um and i haven't seen any plans for them to reschedule those um so i think for the time being it's uh they aren't going to happen but i wouldn't be surprised if this continues uh that they try to reschedule those in some way uh, you know especially if this draws out for another couple months yeah, and then Jason, your your shop resolve. You're doing a lot of obviously a lot of digital marketing. I see uh, your colleagues on LinkedIn and other places uh, with quite a few different uh, different types of media. So, what have you guys just ramped yeah. that up, or is it pretty much the same type of output? I, I'd say we've we've ramped it up uh, for sure. Uh, we've put um, papers out, uh, podcasts, um, blog posts. You name it. Uh, we've been guests on other podcasts, uh, whatever mm-hmm. form of media we can get out there, Twitter uh, um, and uh, et cetera, we'll, uh, we're using all, all forms. And, you know, the, the, the population out there is responding to, 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 to different things. Some people need a phone call. Other people 
want to follow you on Twitter, um, and uh, and others love to read. So we're really um, uh, kind of addressing all senses, if you will. Uh, you know, read, listen, and watch, and um, and uh, you know that 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 will continue. One thing I just want to circle back to mm-hmm. on on digital and sort of KYC, just a special thing to pay attention to, of course, uh, is seniors, and uh, you know that's mm-hmm. one area that we've been feels like we've been extra successful there in in a they're 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 at home <laughs> and uh i think you know it's uh, they're also very responsive in our experience to digital onboarding communication uh is is key we we, we try to make that a strong point uh at our firm um and uh you know any new way of communicating we're always playing with with new tools and how about into the uh like on your investment process, is that with all the volatility, has that changed or has it been kind of you're already set up for this this type of thing? Well, I think, you know, the the, the last, it's not even months, it's really weeks. Uh, the last, this, this last yeah. run over the course of the last six weeks is unlike anything we've seen from a speed standpoint. So, um, you know, there are things that happened in, in 12 days that took the financial crisis 128 days to to, to, to get through. Right. So, um, you know, uh, we've had some programs that respond very well to that, others that have more of a lag because they want to move more slowly. And uh, a lot of uh, a lot of those programs are kind of all all lined up more now than they would have been. Um, but we've got a, a diversified enough group of, of strategies where, uh, on balance, we, we, we like where we are across uh, the various programs. The trick is one area mm-hmm. that is uh, very important to watch, even when you're systematic, is are there exchanges imposing short restrictions? Wow. So, for, so, for example, in Italy, um, if you had a short position on in the Italian futures market, um, you were not forced out of it, but you could not increase it. So um, that that uh, is different than a typical uh, what a typical system might expect. So you have to kind of keep an eye out for that. There were days where the uh, where some ETF internal NAVs w- were five or six percent above the exchange traded price. Um, so you do, you know, a system that wants to buy or sell something. What's the right thing to do there as a portfolio manager? Um, you uh, need uh, to work through decisions like that, um, which is definitely different uh, over the course of the last six weeks than we typically see in a normal environment. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, yeah. There's all these big market dislocations or mini market dislocations, and yeah, when you have a model, you kind of assume that it's going to work, but then if the underlying, the underpinning of it changes, then you got to rethink it. Eh? So exactly. we've yeah. been through all this. We've had the BCP, like, like boring is a new sexy. I keep saying it for like the last 12 years, but really BCP was just, okay, we kind of have to do it. Of course it's important. And, and then here we are, you know, within a, a month of being, being freeze a to entirely locked down. Um, and then we've had, uh, you can see the markets, uh, just compressing into a period of like 10%, what you typically have timeframes, uh, the same type of market moves, uh, just, just incredible to watch. Um, what do you think the next risk is? Like there's always a black swan, which no one really knows by definition because it is a black swan. But, uh, but what do you see on the horizon uh, for, uh, for the markets or even for, for investment management in general? 
what I would say there is, I mean, one of the, one of the risks that uh, people should be looking at now as part of uh, sort of the work from home um, aspect of this is cybersecurity. And I think, you know, people are already thinking about that, but I think that's sort of one of the next things uh, where things could go a little bit sideways if people aren't careful uh, and making sure that they're security procedures are uh, in place and effective in light of everyone working from home. And so what would someone have to do there? What's some simple stuff that that most people can implement without having to uh, pay an arm and a leg? Well, I think just some, you know, some good practices for working from home uh, would include ensuring that you're working through like a a private network uh, and that your employees aren't sort of bypassing that by emailing, you know, documents to themselves uh, on their own mm. like a home computer, keeping everything sort of within a secure network would be uh, one of the probably most important things. Um, also, uh, mm-hmm. thinking about sort of how you're dealing with uh, sort of privacy and confidentiality concerns when you're working at home, you know, who might be looking over your shoulder or who might be hearing your conversations. Um, also, you know, with respect to documentation, you know, are, are your documents secure? Uh, do you have paper lying about? Uh, if you have if you have documents that you need to dispose of, are you doing that in a way that's you know you know in a secure way? Oh yeah, you can't just throw it in a blue bin, eh? Yeah, so you should be you know people should be thinking about shredding documents and and uh, that type of thing as well. So it's just a lot of those you know things that are common sense and things that you know when you're in an office environment are sort of taken for granted but at home you need to think about those details a little bit more yeah on on, on risks from from, from the, you know big picture mm-hmm. uh, like i think a couple of things we're keeping in mind is what's the next leg on this so daily we have our little uh, scrums and check-ins and first question is how's everyone feeling uh and uh, you know two weeks ago everyone's fine everyone who everyone knows is fine today or yesterday um, we have five five people outside of so everyone at the firm is healthy, but there are now some um, relatives, uh, brothers, sisters oh, wow. uh, that are that are are, are um, infected. So the you know we're just imagining what happens when if that comes one step closer, and, and there are a couple of people here down. So I think mm-hmm. one of the biggest things that we are pounding and reminding everyone of on a, on a, a daily and weekly basis is cross training who has your back so imagine you're going on vacation for two weeks and you're gone yeah. um yeah. what you know make sure and we we have a lot of that in place but there's a few spots we just really need to make sure um that that all those uh, uh, people uh and, and process are in place you know chris had some really good points on the cyber side mm-hmm. i think um you know uh we make sure everyone's network is is uh, at least secured ideally um at, we have uh, vpns uh even at, at home that we can uh, uh tap through a lot of very little server activity today that versus years ago where every company had servers that could be attacked we really tried to stay away uh from that and then little smart little things like um, we try as much as possible to have standing wire instructions, make a phone call, go over the over the wires, verbally confirm with whoever we need to confirm with so that when we do um, initiate a wire via email, um, it is all done with no account numbers. Just asking everyone to be, be careful with that because... Uh, you know, the last thing you want to be doing is if you start sending wire instructions on a daily basis to and fro, uh, won't take. You got to assume it won't take long for someone somewhere to so, uh, pick that up. Yeah, that's yeah, true. Wow. Uh, how many people are resolved now? Because I guess you guys wouldn't want to have anybody out, but you have a bit of bench strength there, right? 
yeah yeah we're we're like 15 16 people mm-hmm. um so it's a it's a decent sized team we have enough overlap uh and lots of systems in place with with clear clear rules but it it you know you 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 need to sort of think if you lose two or three people or four people for uh, a period of three or four weeks, um, you and uh, you know it's it's focused in a particular area. You know, uh, just got to think of uh, all all as much as possible um, how that would be handled. Yeah, James, if I can just add one thing there. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you there are firms out there that only have one uh, dealing representative or one person that's sort of uh, uh, managing the firm. And for those uh, firms, they really need to think about, you know, what happens if that person uh, is not able to carry out their functions anymore. So I think there, what they would want to do is probably make sure that they have a list of standing instructions that they can give to their, you know, administrative staff um, to uh, to follow in in the absence of that key person. Um, Another uh, another alternative is to think about whether they could partner with another firm in a similar situation where, you know, that, oh, that yeah. other firm could step in potentially, you know, under some kind of arrangement um, and assist in the short term to, you know, at least uh, deal with clients um, where they need to to sort of deal with any short term issues until things are more settled out and they come to a, a longer term plan. Yeah, like neighbors with uh, each other's house keys sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, uh, that's interesting. Yeah, I didn't even thought about that. Wow, there's a ton of info here. So the CRA has uh, pushed back, I'm not sure what the date was, I think it's June, to file uh, income taxes and I think to pay in August sometime. But um, uh, how, how have the, the gears of the Securities Commissions and, and their regular filings, uh, have, they, have they been amended at all over this time? Time frame, uh, Chris? Yeah, they have. So the, the CSA, the Canadian Securities Administrators, have uh, pushed out uh, many of their deadlines uh, by 45 days. Those include um, filing deadlines for um, capital uh, capital market participation fees, uh, filing of financial statements, and working capital calculations. Uh, there's also deadlines for investment mm-hmm. funds that have been pushed out by 45 days, uh, subject to uh, regulatory notice and uh, posting of um, uh, a notice on the website of those fund managers, um, as well the uh, the RAC, uh, the risk assessment questionnaire that was uh, coming up, uh, that's been uh, delayed or postponed until further notice. Um, so there's a number of things that the regulators have done to sort of ease uh, ease the the burden on uh, registrants. Oh, that's nice. How about in the, in the area of working capital? Do you think many firms will be affected by this uh, from the downturn, or um, is that not as much an issue as uh, as like some of some of the other areas? Because you have to keep a certain amount of capital ready to go. But if they're not bringing in the money, that's right. And yeah, sales and such. I mean, we haven't seen any of those issues so far, uh, but it is possible if people are running a little bit close to the line in terms of their working capital that you know if if they're not. Uh, if they're not seeing the uh, the revenue uh, come in as it was in the past, then uh, that could become an issue. Um, I don't know, Jason. Is that are, are you guys looking at that? Yeah, yeah. I think uh, you know uh, uh, we've been fortunate in a way with the OSC requiring capital issues that are or capital uh, requirements that are well in excess of anything the NFA or SEC require, which uh, mm-hmm. we also uh, are regulated by. 
And, um, you know, we often have multiples of that, just given if you have staff, you're going to have multiples of that. You need that to just keep keep the, the, the business rolling. So I, I don't mm-hmm. know, with the, with the exception of startups and, and very small um, uh, shops, I, I don't imagine the OSC working capital requirements would be too uh, large of a problem. Uh, but I'll be honest, from a business standpoint, you generally want to make sure you've got well in excess of the working capital um, number available to you either directly in the business or, or outside of the business. Um, and uh, the wage subsidies that they're discussing now, I think can be right. a, a huge stabilizer uh, for our industry uh, from a, you know, all of our, our assets have been uh, um, hurt here with the, with the decline in assets. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, it could, uh, you know, it is affecting, affecting uh, 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 revenues for uh, our business. Now, the asset management business isn't like a restaurant where you go completely dark. We're all grateful for that, but obviously serve a pretty big purpose in providing um, liquidity uh, and the ability to transact in this environment, which I really do believe will continue. I don't think the governments are going to shut anything down. Um, If they do, maybe it's a day, but I can't imagine, knock on wood, it's any extended period of time. Um, So, um, you know, I think from a a capital standpoint, Mm -hmm. I I think for for now we're good. Uh, And and I think the industry is generally good. Of course, there's going to be some exceptions, but uh, it really all depends on how long this lasts. If I can go back to regulators just for one quick second, just to say uh, a briefly, um, extremely cooperative and understanding um, uh, through all of this and the, the, the delays in timing, we didn't think we needed because uh, we were so far along before all this started. You know, when this, when the World Health Organization um, uh, uh, put its stamp on this in the middle of March, we were largely done our our financial statements for funds and financial statements for the corp were very, very close. Mm-hmm. And but but even still, we ended up being a couple of days late. Um, there's just other because uh, other effects. Everyone had to move home. Everyone at our auditor had to move home. Everyone at our administrator had to move home. So just all that those communication delays as as tight as we were, we got everything filed um, last week and and this Monday. Um, so a, a few days behind. But we're happy to have that done. But it's very nice to have the extensions, the rack, and also I think um, you know uh, the regulators have some common sense here. They're not going to impose anything uh, new or, or uh, uh, at this stage, uh, which is uh, which is great. Oh, it's super. Well, thank you both for your uh, views of BCP and keeping a business going through this uh, this type of crisis. Uh, thanks, Chris. Thanks, Jason. Uh, we look forward to having you guys again on another one of our podcasts uh, sometime soon. Thanks. Our pleasure. Yeah, thank you.